What's up, Stay Healthy New Jersey listeners? This is your podcast producer, Hannah, introducing another great new episode. So I met our guest, Dave, through our business networking group. And after sitting down with him to learn a little bit more about him, I knew he'd make such a great podcast guest. Which brings us to our episode. Dave works for Pro Finish Painters in New Jersey. His first introduction to the world of painting came from his father, who was a house painter. But the journey Dave took from the time he was a kid to today is amazing. It's timely that I'm recording this introduction on Veterans Day, as Dave served for just about four years. He shares in depth his experiences overseas in 2001, to finishing his service and going to college, to working in the food industry, and finally landing where he is today. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and to learn more about Dave and where you can reach him, check out our show notes. All right, guys, enjoy. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Dave, first, I appreciate you coming on, and it's really nice to meet you. Um, we Great. sort of met just about 30 seconds ago through Hannah, which is our BNI connection. And before we even start, uh, Hannah, she's like, listen, get Dave on. Dave's great. He's going to be awesome. Just do your thing. So I'm excited well, I to have you that. here. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's nice to meet you too. So we're going to get to what you do for a living and, and how that happened. But again, Hannah, she's telling me, she's you got to hear this guy's story. And so let's take it back and uh, <laughs> All right. Take us back and I'll be interject and ask questions. But I think I and, and I think the reason why I want to do this is I think in our area here and that in New Jersey, there's so many interesting people that, you know, we might not hear about that aren't on the news that are doing really cool things and have a, such an interesting background where we might be able to learn lessons or, you know, get, gain some perspective on different things in our life that I think is beneficial. So that's why I want to do that. So take us back, you know, where are you? Who are you? Where are you from? And, I'll, and let's go from there. Well, that's great. You know, I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm really honored that you would actually want to listen to my story. So that's pretty cool. Uh, this whole concept, I think, is is great getting together and everybody learning from one another is uh, always helpful. Um, so started off, my parents were married, still together. They're still together now. Um, when I was a kid, growing up, normal, normal life, started, uh, started painting with my father, who was a house painter at the time. And uh, went to high school. After high school, I signed up for the military. I took my ASVABs in high school and uh, I was approached by several recruiters from multiple branches. And uh, my grandfather was a pilot in the army. So that's kind of the route I wanted to go army, not necessarily pilot, but army. Um, because of the ASVABs, I got uh, recruiters calling me, signed up as soon as I graduated with a recruiter out of the army, um, had a um, um, a, a slew of jobs that was offered to me. He wanted to know what I wanted to do. And, uh, after, uh, after some deliberation, we decided that I was going to do airborne infant or, um, airborne artillery. So I was jumping out of airplanes, uh, at 17, you know, it was, it's pretty exciting to hear or 18 rather. Um, but one of the things is I wanted to wait until after, after summer was over. I graduated in 2001. I wanted to wait till after summer was over 
so that my friends and I could hang out. I could help my father paint over the summer. And then when they went to college, I would go to the army. It seemed like a perfectly good plan. Recruiters like, sure, you know, we got nothing going on right now. You know, there's no wars, there's no no issues whatsoever. So yeah, that's that's fine. You know, typical procedure. So we did that. My leave date was September 17th, 2001. Uh, as you know, uh, six days before that, uh, you know, I was outside in the yard just, just you know, mowing, uh, doing yard work. My mother comes out and says, hey, you got to come inside and see what's on the TV. You know, so we're watching on the TV, uh, seeing what's going on, you know, the planes and everything. And my mother hands me the phone and says, you need to call your recruiter. Tell me you can't go. You know, you're going to war. I don't want you to go die. You didn't know this was going to happen. So I said, all right, you know, give me the phone. I'll call him. So I call him up and I go, hey, Sergeant, um, I'm all packed. I'm ready to go. If you need me, come get me. <laughs> my mom's like, no, what do you know? That's not what I know. And uh, I'm like, mom, like I, I, I signed up to do this. Like, I'm not going to run away just because it gets a little hard. And she, she kind of nodded because she knew. Um, so I left. Oh, sorry. Let me back up. So talking to my recruiter after saying, you know, I want to come. He's like, I don't need you within the next six days. You're leaving in six days. He's like, the military is not going to benefit tremendously from you coming in five days, six days early. Spend this time with your family. That's really what matters. Spend the time with your family, your friends, because, you know, things are going to hit the fan and, you know, you know, the next time you're going to see him. So I did that. You know, I spent the next six days, had all my friends come over. We spent as much time as possible. You know, a lot of tearful moments, the whole thing. Uh, left, went to basic training. Uh, so a little backstory when I was in high school, I was a skinny, short, skinny little kid, uh, not super short, but on the average to slightly taller end, super skinny, skin and bones came out of basic training, six, three, two twenty. My uh, mother was there. <laughs> my mother thought I was trying out for the NFL. <laughs> well, yeah, my mother thought I was uh, wearing football pads on all my clothes. And she was yeah. like, that's all you. I was like, yeah, mom. <laughs> um, so that being said, you know, I, I, I served, I jumped several times, uh, <laughs> uh, went overseas. I, uh, did my time over there. Yeah. Got promoted, got, uh, army accommodation medals, um, you know, and, and, uh, did what I had to do when sure. I was over there. You know, I, uh, I don't regret a minute of it, although I wish some things hadn't happened how they had, but that's life. Right. And you can't yeah. change that. You learn from from everything good and bad. And and the best thing to do is to take what you get and try and better yourself or better others because of that. You know, I want to go back to when you, most people wouldn't think about your story. And if they didn't know the details, which I hadn't, I would think, Oh, nine 11 happened. And then you sort of felt a calling to go. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious Monday morning quarterback, if you hadn't signed up and then that happened, do you think you would have been someone that would have said, now I need to do this? Or do you think that that wouldn't either way you were going to do it? Wow. You know, nobody has ever asked me that. I've never even thought about if I would have signed up after or not. I'd like to think that I would have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have. I mean, that was, I wanted to be in the military, you know, 
as long as I can remember, mostly because of my grandfather. Yeah. I'd spoken with my neighbor and he had said that uh, one of the biggest regrets he had ever had is not joining, you know, because sure. he was very patriotic, loved America, you know, and said, you know, the only thing is I feel like I'm not, not a phony, but almost because I have this love for this country, but I didn't do anything with it. Right. You know, and that was something that resonated with me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even if the call came, you know, while I was still in school, say, you know, say it was a year younger or something, uh, I really think that that, that would have still resonated with me, probably would have propelled me even more to, to maybe even be more drastic. I mean, I was a combat MOS. I, I said, you know, I don't want to sit behind a desk. Uh, and again, this was peacetime. So the feelings are different. Yeah. Um, but I said, you know, I, I want to actually be doing the fighting, doing something that is measurably affecting our outcome, you know, in, in any way I could. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I tell our team that, you know, like someone like Hannah, who, you know, she when she got this job, she was going to come to an office and work. And, you know, we had two offices and she was going to be in person and do all these different outreach and different events. And then COVID happened. And, you know, I tell them all the time, like, I understand where we are now. This isn't the job you signed up for, but this is the circumstance. And it sounds similar in your world. It's like what you signed up for during peacetime was significantly different than what actually happened. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Night and day really. Yeah. It went from, you know, you're going to be jumping out of planes and just kind of training the whole time you're there to, nope, let's put this training to, uh, you know, to use. Yeah. But um, sort of further my story, if, if you yeah, want. Yeah, absolutely. So after basic training, you do uh, what's called AIT. So basic training is kind of like grade school of the military. You learn the basics. You know, the very basic survival, basic physical fitness, um, you know, the basic first aid and all that. When you go to AIT, now this is when you leave basic, many, many units leave, leave basic and go to other bases. I was, uh, because of where I was situated, I was staying on the same base. I just moved to a different barracks down, down a little way. So like out of high school to college. Um, but some units actually stay throughout the whole time. So their basic training just gets extended and their AIT just continues. Um, usually infantry, uh, and, uh, forward observers and, uh, gun bunnies, uh, 13 bravos, the guys who actually pull the artillery. Um, so that being said, stayed in the same base, some of the guys that were in different, so in basic training, the way that we had it was we had four platoons of 60 guys each, and they each had their own names. I was the Maniacs, there was the Warriors, and two others, I, I forget mm -hmm. them. Uh, we all have our own color codes, or you know, we all have our own barracks rooms, and that, so that sort of thing. But when you leave basic training, uh, all of your previous opponents and adversaries now become your battle buddies because some of them from you know the warriors are now in we're all together in college so you need to to learn how to be you know competitive with somebody and then learn how to depend on them to for your survival so it's it's a pretty cool mix of how they do that 
you know, teaches you how to overcome your own adversity that you've created for yourself. Um, so did AIT, which is like college. So they, that's where they focus more on what your specific job is. So everybody who joins, you know, is either a mechanic or infantry, you know, and then you focus on that job in AIT. After that, I went to airborne school that was in Georgia during uh, September and August. So it was nice and cool in Georgia, mm. let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was so humid. I, I swear to God, we were swimming, not running. Nice. But um, so that was that was intense. You have to run everywhere in boots. And uh, they used to have a pull-up bar. So every time you went to go eat, you had to knock out 10 pull-ups. And when you left, you had to knock out 10 pull-ups. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you got this full belly. Like you're starving, so you knock out 10 real quick. You go and you eat, you stuff your face, and then you're trying to do 10, and you're just like sluggish. And yeah. it, it, it kind of trains you to, to say, you know, eat what you need. Don't, you know, don't slow yourself down because, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, so that was AIT, airborne school. After airborne school, uh, you go to your duty station, which is where you're typically stationed for the majority of your deployment, unless you get switched around, you know. In my duty station, um, I actually was uh, chosen out of, I think it was uh, three platoons of 120 each. So was that 360, 360 people? I was chosen. Me and uh, two other people were chosen from the special forces specifically to train with them for Mm -hmm. several weeks. Mm -hmm. So that was intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we did all kinds of special, like special survival skills, um, tactical, you know, tactical training, things like that. Like, uh, like you see in the movies where they're, you know, they're all, they got the guns. So we had guns that were paintball guns, but there were bullets, actual bullets with paint instead of metal. Yeah. So that was, that was intense. Uh, I utilized that when I went overseas. Like I said, I got promoted. I got a couple of um, medals when I was over there from um, doing what I did. And uh, I I definitely equate it to all that extra training that I'd gotten Mm -hmm. from the special forces, which was, you know, great. Most people don't get to do that. So that was, that's pretty insane. That's crazy. So how, how many years total were you, were you a in the military B overseas? So I was over there for a little less than a year. We had actually, um, we'd gone there. We were there when Saddam Hussein got captured. Actually, Mm. I remember the day that Saddam got captured. uh, I was, I was on the guard tower. We rotate shifts doing different things. Uh, Sometimes you're on the guard tower for a couple of weeks, then you're out on a mission for a couple of weeks or months. And then you, you know, you could be inside. So, so you're not stuck doing the same thing. So it kind of keeps everybody fresh. Yeah. Uh, so at this time, I was actually on the guard tower and it came over the radio. You know, we got Saddam. We got Saddam. And across the uh, Euphrates River, we're in Ramadi. So there was, we're right where the Euphrates was. Across the Euphrates River was a city and they were shooting guns in the air for, I want to say, 24 hours, just, just shooting bullets in the air to the point where the bullets were actually falling down on the base and like you could uh, hear it and we couldn't we couldn't go we didn't know if it was an attack or celebratory yeah. fire um we think it was celebratory you know because sure. it wasn't directed towards us there were no mortars there was no uh, attack after that it was yeah. just random bullets falling 
Yeah. Um, but because of how many people, the entire town was just shooting in the air. I guess. Um, so that was that. And so I stayed for, like I said, a little less than a year after, I think there was like two months left. The commander said that, you know, we're going to be leaving early. The, the Marines are here and they need to stay somewhere. There's only so much space. And the commander asked us if we wanted to leave. And he's like, yep, <laughs> see you later. We'll go home. That's sure. fine. So, uh, so, you know, we would have stayed a year, but circumstances happened. The Marines came over and we needed to leave two months early. Got it. Um, unfortunately though, that we got reports that, that, uh, that the transition was not smooth, that we left fewer troops there than, you know, when we left a larger force left than what came in. And, uh, the base actually was, um, was attacked a couple wow. months after we were gone, um, more, more than when we were there. So that was, you know, unfortunate, um, you know, but there's nothing, nothing I could do about that. But after, after getting out or after getting home, I was only about a few months away from transitioning out so mm -hmm. that I had the option to reenlist. Sure. And, you know, they, they, they definitely wanted me to realize they were offering me promotions and, and all that. But doing that, I felt like I had fulfilled what I needed to do, mm -hmm. you know, um, fulfilled my, my, my service in the country. And I wanted to actually just turn the page to the next chapter at that point. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to go to college. Got so it. that's what so, I did. So how, how many years total were you, were you in from 18 to how old? Until a little less than four. So if you, when you, uh, you it's called ETSing, estimated yeah. time in service. So it's kind of like a job. You, you earn vacation days, except these vacation days can then be used to shorten your sentence, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, the whole time that I was overseas, I was collecting all these. And so I used that to get out a couple months early, but other than that, four years. Got it. And so, yeah. um, essentially by the end of it, the process would be, you'd have to almost re-enlist like what? What does it mean? You know, you hear people say I was an army brat. I grew up like you just keep reenlisting or how does that work if you were to become a career army person? Okay. So army brat actually refers to the children of career army personnel or yeah. military personnel. Sure. That's, that's what an army brat is. Yeah. Um, but they call lifers people who complete reenlist. Now with the military, you have to sign an eight year contract. Mm -hmm. You can do a portion of that active duty. You can do the remaining portion, what's called inactive reserve, yes. which is where, you know, although you're not going to a meeting, you know, you're not going the two weeks, they can still call you back should the rise come, you know, yeah. you know should they need you. Yeah. And um, so that's what I did. I, I was, you know, the next four years I was inactive reserve. They actually tried to call me back, but I was still in college. And I said, you know, I want to finish going to school first. And they said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's fine, you know finish mm -hmm. college. And then, you know, if we need you, we'll call you. But by the time I was out of college, my, my enlistment had, you know, run up. Yeah. Um, so a, a lifer is somebody who continues to reenlist. Now they can do it one of two ways. They can reenlist in big chunks and say, you know, I want to reenlist for five years, five years, five, 10 years, you know? And, and so they, that's it. That's their, that's their contract. Or they can do, you know, in smaller chunks and say, you know, I only want to reenlist for another two. And yeah. see how I feel. Right. Another two, see how I feel. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but even in that, another two, 
I still think you still have that eight year. So, and I'm not sure because I didn't do it this way, mm-hmm. but if you were enlist, I think you reenlist for another eight, two of that, you know, is active. And then the other six would be inactive. Yeah. I'm assuming I actually don't know. Yeah. One of my closest friends in chiropractic school. So he, before I knew him, he had started chiropractic school and he had enlisted before starting. And in his second semester of school, he got called to Iraq. So okay. he went to Iraq for a year. And then wow. I found this out after one day in my class, this random guy shows up and starts taking class. And it's like, who is this guy? Like he just showed up, come to find out. He literally got home from Iraq on like a Tuesday and started the next semester at chiropractic school on the next Monday. Oh my God. Semester. Yeah. Insane. Wow. And, and so, you know, we're still very close. Once he got back, he still would have to go home. We were up in upstate New York. He would go home to Pennsylvania once a month because he was still, you know, there. And finally it sort of ended. And now he's actually works. He actually works at the VA hospital in in Florida. So he's still oh, sort of cool. involved. That's great. In that. but, um, that's great. But yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, speaking with him as much as, as he would sort of speak about it. So, you know, when you got out and then you started to transition into, I guess, civilian life, so to speak, how challenging is it? You know, you think about like an athlete that finishes being a pro and it's like, what the hell do I do with my life now? It's, it's just so different. Has that, well, how was that transition and how has it been now? How is it now? So I'm, I'm a little unique. Uh, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I, I don't let things bother me. Things that most people get anxiety about, or, or I don't even, doesn't even, you know, cross my radar. So my transition was fairly good. I was still young. Um, I was anxious to go to college more (laughs) funny thing. I remember, I remember being on the guard tower, uh, worried about, because I knew I wanted to get out at that point. I knew I didn't want to re-enlist. And I knew I wanted to go to college and because I was already taking college courses as well when I was still in. Mm -hmm. And I remember the biggest thing I was worried about is not knowing how to get to the college, not knowing how to drive there. That was what I was worried about. (laughs) Like of all the things, not the courses, not the classes, not just, I don't even know how to get to the school. Sure. You know, so it's weird to, to, to think about what, what you're worried about, you know? Um, and obviously once I went there, that was fine. And I'm personable. You start talking to people, you know, people want to know your story yeah. and, uh, you know, that it's, it's helpful to, to talk about it, you know, to a certain degree under sure. the right circumstances, you know, sure. uh, in a dark room under a bottle of whiskey is not the way to do it. Yeah. I'd imagine I, uh, and my, my friend, he reminds me of you like super laid back, super chill. And, and, you know, to this day, and, and I obviously, I know obviously that he's downplaying it, but we were like, I was like, you know, just what is it like there? And he's like, you see how we're driving in this town? We're just kind of like the police in that town. I'm like, okay, good. Like, and again, I know it's not, but that's how in his brain, I was just going to talk about it, you know? And it's like, all right, like I get it, you know, I get it. Um, but so, so obviously there's, there's a lot of other pieces to that, that, that no one would understand unless it was, you know, if you were there and, 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 you know, and I'm sure you've seen it too. The, the, the unfortunate end, I remember at his wedding, 
we sat at a table with three of the guys he was in with. And I remember about a year later, one of the guys actually overdosed and it was like, you know, and, and, you know, that's a real thing. And, and, you know, he kind of said to his credit, like, listen, we're all in the same situation. How you handle it is, is on you when you get out. Yes. Um, and, yep. and so not that he didn't have empathy for it, but I think he said, listen, like we, we got to make sure that we all are responsible for ourselves and our mentality once we're out, which sounds like for you, similarly, like we've obviously, it wasn't, it wasn't going to day camp over there. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. You ways to um, go about it, right? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Right. due to PTSD related issues. Right. Uh, I had a very, very, very close friend of mine um, succumb to PTSD a couple months back. A father, uh, father of two kids, gorgeous kids. He was a police officer in Rockaway. Uh, um, great wife, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, beautiful family. Mm-hmm. Um, always happy, you know, on the outside. He and I had some conversations, you know, in, in the corner type of thing. But yeah. uh, overall, he had a very optimistic outward appearance. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a real thing. And I remember um, I struggled a little bit when I first got back with, you know, transitioning to not being under constant combat stress. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember specifically one time I was I was dating a girl and. I was just laying on the couch and her friend was on one end of the couch down by my feet. And I guess I was laying with my head like on her lap or something like that while they were watching TV. I fell asleep. Her friend said uh, she was throwing her the remote and said incoming. Hmm. I, they told me I sat up so fast that I intercepted the remote with my forehead and went like this, like right. looking around for my weapon and then yeah. like looked around and then just kind of sat there for a second. And they just went back to sleep. Wow. I have no memory of this right. whatsoever. Um, but it's things like that, that yeah. you, you're trained, you're trained, you're trained, you're trained, you're trained so that it's muscle memory so mm-hmm. that you're doing it. What it, you don't even realize you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so there are effects that, that you can suffer as a human does. Um, but I contribute a lot of, me being as normal as I am yeah. um, to the fact that my mindset going into it was not, Oh, I'm going to go kill all these people. I'm going to go, you know, I was there saying, I'm going to go and do what I have to do. If I have to take a life, I will do everything I can not to. But if it's a choice between me or them, I'm going home. You know, there's, sure. there's no doubt about it. Um, but I didn't go there with hate in my heart, wanting to hurt somebody else. And that's not true for a lot of guys. A lot of guys do join for, I don't want to say the wrong reasons because, you know, you're defending what you love and they are the enemy. So you feel less love for them. Um, but it doesn't breed the right outcome on the other end. In my right. experience, uh, yeah. all the guys that had that, that gung ho thing came back with, with severe issues. Uh, yeah. Some of them actually, experienced a lot of those issues while still there. Um, you know, so I really think the mindset and how you look at what you're about to do, uh, really mattered, especially in a situation like this, where, you know, you're, you're going to war. There's yeah. no doubt. It's the most, it's the most ruthless, ugly thing there is. 
sure. there's nothing worse than war. It's just massive murder. Right. That's really all it is. How, so. I guess now, you know, with COVID and there's all tons of, you know, physical things, but the one <clears> of the things that we are finding out more now is just the mental, you know, the mental stress and the, you know, the depression and all that because of the lockdowns and all the different side effects of that. So maybe what in your experience kind of once you got back from a mental health standpoint, because like you said, it sounds like from speaking to you, you, you've done okay for yourself and others haven't, what are the things, I know you mentioned mindset, but maybe some other pieces of advice or thought processes that you utilize that might be able to help someone going through this, that, you know, you know, who, when this is over, people are going to have PTSD for some different reasons. True. It is what, true. Um, what is that for you? Well, I mean, like anything, any kind of trauma, whether it be physical trauma, emotional trauma, psychological trauma, um, breaking that down to what it is that's actually affecting you, you know, the specific moments that are bringing that emotion to you, the, the specific feelings or, or, because, you know, we experience everything in not just a 2D fashion. We feel about this something the same way as we observe it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so if you're already, what I found is that, like I said, talking to people helps in the right circumstances. Like I, like I, I said before, over a bottle of whiskey in the corner, crying to each other, although that feels like you're getting it out, doesn't necessarily benefit anything. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you've been holding it in and you need to get it out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really uh, a good support system, good, good friends, a good family members, uh, you know, somebody that you can talk to honestly about how you're feeling and what you're thinking. Um, and whoever that person you're talking to can't needs to understand to a yeah. certain degree, doesn't need to know, you know, a hundred percent, but there needs to be a level of acceptance with, especially if you do something that you think is morally wrong or evil or bad, but you had to do it anyway. That's, mm -hmm. that's a major contributing factors is people. Most people want to feel like they're good people, that they do the right thing that in situations they would do good over evil. And sometimes you're forced to do something you wouldn't normally do mm -hmm. for sake of survival or what have you, sake of survival of yourself or your battle buddies. Uh, and that can play a huge toll on you. It could make you question who you are, make you question, you know, am I that good person that I thought I was? Yeah. And it's irrational because obviously you went to do good. The, the actions were not necessarily the most positive, but the, the point was to do good. And a lot of people forget that the, the motive behind it is what makes you who you are, not the actions you've done. Right. So I know a lot of guys struggle with, you know, I can't believe that, you know, and, and they tell me specific stories and you have to remind them like, dude, you had to do what you have to do. Like you're here now, make it up volunteer you know that's that's another huge thing that i found is volunteering for others especially other vets uh you know you feel like a hero um when you're when you're helping somebody else and they are truly being helped by by you yeah and that's that's really the best thing i mean that's i found the volunteering and and you know 
doing things like that really, really helps. It fills that hole big time. Uh, the the question that popped into my head, and I I hope that it's taken the right way and it's not offensive in any way. But is there ever was there ever a sense from anybody with you over there? You know, here everyone's got their own opinions on anything political. Um, were there people over there in the army or whatever that didn't quite frankly think we should be there? Oh, absolutely, a- absolutely. I mean, you can't have a hundred percent of any population believe the same thing. So even a a lot of the people that believed we shouldn't be over there. um, It's, it's funny because I actually wrote a poem when I was over there and um, it talks about how I remember one of the lines is, you know, those who have pickets and are striking against this war have no idea what it's like. They don't know the good we're doing because although it is war and there was a lot of, you know, negativity, we helped secure building, you know, firehouses, uh, schools. We helped uh, establish a concrete and and solid uh, political atmosphere so that you know, political opponents weren't just murdered in the streets because they're political opponents of each other. You know, that uh, we would, we got democracy started in a sense, or not full-blown democracy, but, you know, but political workings, at least in where we were with yeah. what we did. Um, you know, so I was hands-on with a lot of good things that we did. So there is something that you can look at if you don't agree with going there and hurting these people, focus on the fact that we're helping these. Yeah. Because every time we left base, there would be lines and lines of women and children and, and, and men cheering, clapping, running next to us, flowing flowers, you know, really loving that we were there uh, and saving them from, you know, the, the overbearing dictatorship that they had. You know, so, so there is good in bad actions. And I think that a lot of people, even though they weren't, they didn't agree with being there and and doing that and and fighting, they did agree with the positive things that we were doing while there. Do you ever have to fight almost a feeling of like, I guess, resentment, you know, being uh, back here? And living in a normal life and seeing, you know, we live in a, we never, you know, we live in a pretty safe environment, good place and all that. And you have so many people that like are so like upset or critical about everything. And you're like, man, you guys don't even know how good you have it. Do you ever think that stuff? I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Um, I don't know if resentment is the right word. More like when you see, uh, when you see somebody who has great and they're complaining about what they don't have no matter what it is you know um it's always a uh, i don't know the right word like a like it don't you guys realize like you're complaining about you have the ability to complain about this this is something that you're complaining about and it's not where am i going to get my next meal it's not hey i only have this pair of shoes that's going to last me the next three years and they're already falling apart. You know, it's not, where am I going to get clean water from? So when you, when you start taking out the basic necessities of survival, then you start looking at, well, what else is my issue? Well, there's no animals coming to attack me. 
I'm not getting attacked by lions or tigers or bears every day. So there's not that threat. Um, so when the threats are lowered, you look for threats to be increased so that you feel that's human nature. We need to feel like we're surviving. We literally Uh, talked about this in our team meeting and uh, I know Hannah's in the background here, but I hope she's smiling. We talked about the root of anxiety and like why people get stressed. And there's a book called why zebras get ulcers. And essentially it's like, um, it's that we here uh, back in the day survival, right? We're naturally made to be negative right? Because back in the day when there was a lion chasing us, it benefited us to be like, oh crap, there's a lion that's going to come get me. I better be ready. Yeah. But now in, in modern society, we don't have that issue. So now it becomes, oh my God, uh, my car broke down where right. it doesn't matter. Like in the reality, but we've almost to your point, that's evolution, why we are the way we are, right? Yes. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure you know um, all about cortisol and the effects that cortisol have on our brains and, and dopamine and, you know, all the others, but cortisol in itself can become addicting just as much as dopamine can in that, you know, you, you need that feeling of stress and anxiety and, and, and that brewing, if that's what you train yourself to do. Um, I watched the video and it talked about, you know, if, if you're at an office and, Every day at two o'clock, your boss comes by your office and reams you out for something, right? And you get that feeling. So you've, your boss is on vacation for a week. Well, at two o'clock every day, now you're going to the water hall and you're yelling at somebody or you're causing an issue and you don't know why. It's because you've yeah. been trained to feel a certain feeling at two o'clock every day. Like it or not, you're, you're trained to do that. So that's what your body is like. Hey, status quo. Let's keep it yeah. going. Yeah. And so uh, I think when you take that and you magnify it to now you're adding other people saying, you know, be it on TV or social media or whatever, other people are now adding their stresses and their own insecurities onto you. And it's almost contagious. Yeah. And you're almost like, oh my God, I, I didn't even think of that. Oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and without that other side saying, well, yeah, but this. Yes. Without that balance, yeah. you know, it's like a seesaw. You, you fly off the one edge. If you don't got somebody to balance you out, you're, you're going over the deep end. Yeah. I tell you, yeah. I have a business partner. And when we first started about a month in, she said to me that like, she was like, I've realized how hesitant I am to actually have a conversation with you. And I was like, well, why? And she's like, I realized that where I used to work, I was so afraid of making a mistake because I knew I would get reamed that it took me almost a while to get to the point that I could trust that when I came with an issue or a problem that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. To your okay. point, just conditioned to like, mm-hmm. be like, I'm not, I'm just going to not even do it. Cause I know the result of it. And you're like, and how do you progress in that? Yeah. How do you get better when you know, you're, you're punished for your mistakes? Yeah. Um, I went to TED talk and they were talking about how they, they created this game and they put it on YouTube and the object of the game was stupid. Didn't matter. It was, you know, get this to here and, or, or do a maze, whatever it was. Uh, the games were identical except for one thing. When you lost on one of them, it said you failed. Try again. When you lost on the other, you failed. You now have five less points out of your 200 points. These points that mean nothing about to nobody, 
in any way. They're made up points that mean nothing. You can't, you know, it's just you had 200 belief points. Now you have 195 make believe points. But they found that people attempted the maze significantly less when they found that there was a punishment for failure. When there's no punishment, people try to try to try to try to try to eventually got it. Yay. And a lot of people quit because they were losing these make-believe, imaginary, don't mean anything points that they would never, that they didn't even know they had in the beginning of the game type of thing. So, so that, and that can play in, in multiple different facets, but then have to be a direct result of, you know, failure punishment. But, but the idea that if you fail, you could possibly get punished is enough. It's enough for some people. Right. Um, but coercely, the opposite is also true. If you think that helping just a little bit might benefit this other person, and again, it's all about how you look at life, would incentivize you to go do those little things to, you know, to better everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, that's really, really insightful. I want to transition into where you are now. So sure, I had this crazy journey and uh, Maybe this one's as exciting as that, but uh, I, I have to imagine it's not, but, but it's still where you are right now. So tell us, tell us fast, fast forward, what are you doing right now? And, and then uh, we'll go from there. Well, thanks. Uh, so I work for pro finish painters. We are out of Somerset County and, and we do Morris County as well. Um, I've been with this company now for a couple months. I started in September. Uh, my boss, Andy had reached out to me saying that, um, let me back up. Yeah. So after, after college, I jumped around and did a couple of different jobs here and there. Um, I was a sous chef for the, uh, for the, for a restaurant. And this main chef was a guy who cooked for the Sopranos, the actors for the wow, TV show, cool. the Sopranos. So, yeah. so he had all kinds of photos and everything like that. So I learned a lot from him. That was cool. It's where I, I learned to love cooking and culinary yeah. arts, which is great. Um, so after that, uh, you know, I, I was trying to find work here and there, doing different things. My father was a house painter, like I said, so I'd fall back with him whenever I was out of work. I would just work with him instead. Um, and so going through college and all that, I I ended up going to a job fair and, and getting a job as a um, meat man. Um, I worked for Omaha Steaks for a little bit, and then I transitioned from that to sort of pro painters. And so Serta Pro Painters is where I really started doing this, mm-hmm. um, estimating, painting, um, that sort of thing. And so with my background of, you know, painting experience and my knowledge in sales, I went to school for um, business, business administration with a concentration in marketing. So I had mm-hmm. salesy experience, you know, I'm a personal person. I could talk to anybody about anything. So I just thought that was a good segue. Well, I know the facts of painting and then the process. Now, all I need to do is convince people that they should use us instead of somebody else. Sure. Pretty cool. Uh, so when interviewing for that job, um, I was competing with Andy Barisi, my now boss for the position. The only reason why I got the position is because my boss at the time was saying, you know, I'm, I'm stuck between you and this other guy. You're both army vets. You know, he's a little older. He's got a little bit more experience. You're a little younger, a little bit more computer savvy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm stuck. And I said to him, I was sitting in the office, I was like, pick me. I was like, I'm better looking. I'm more personable. You definitely want to go with me. I'm better. And he's like, okay. And that was it. And that's how I got the job. 
so Andy actually ended up working for a, a different office because sort of as a franchise. So worked for a different office. Um, wasn't really for him. He, uh, he had owned his own painting business. And, and so working for somebody else doing what he was doing for himself, you know, he, he realized he could make a little bit more money. So that's what he did. He branched off on himself and created pro finish painters called me in, um, in August and said, Hey, you know, I'm getting too busy, too big for my britches. I need somebody and you're the guy I want. And so I said, awesome. Well, uh, you know, this whole COVID thing's still going on. Um, my kids aren't, you know, I'm watching my kids right now. I have two young kids. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, you know, I need to watch them, you know, until at least we figure out what's going on with school, this and that. So he was like, yeah, sure. So he gave me, you know, he gave me that month to kind of finish transitioning from, I guess, family life back to the work life. Yeah. And yeah, as soon as September hit, we hit the ground running and I've been with them ever since. I'd imagine based on what's going on in the market, you guys have to be busy as all hell, no? Yeah. Uh, so benefits and you know drawbacks of covid is you know obviously it's uh it, it affects personal accountability closeness things like that but you know you can overcome that sure. um but everybody's sitting in their house seeing their walls looking around like oh man i really gotta paint yeah. you know it started off with the exteriors you know people wanted to keep their distance so we we respected that and and did exteriors over the phone interview, you know, things like that, uh, estimates. And it, it's, it was kind of put on pause, like everything in March, April, May, when, when painting gets real busy, that's when people start in springtime, people are outside. They want to start doing, yeah. uh, it kind of got pushed down the pipeline a little bit to September, August, October. And so everybody who was going to do it back in the springtime is now doing it now. So the kids are back in school and, you know, on some occasions, most people are working from home. So they're yeah. available, um, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, now that wearing masks and, and protecting yourself, people are more comfortable letting you in their home. Got it. Okay, cool. And so how many crew, how many staff does, does pro finish have? How many crews go out now? Um, well, so we, we try and customize our crews to the job. Um, we have a one man crew, we have a two man crew, we have a four man crew and we have two five man crews. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, so we can handle large jobs and we yeah. can handle small jobs. Um, so we like to tailor our crews to the, the customer. Um, some customers, you know, and I'm just being honest, some customers want higher quality, you know, crisp, clean, everything needs to be as close to perfect as possible. And some people are like, Hey, I'm moving, you know, make it look nice because I'm moving, you know, I don't want it to look crappy, but you know, make it look nice. Doesn't have to be stellar. You right. know, I don't want to have to, you know, um, so how would that change your job? Like what, what would that mean if they're like, I need it perfect versus like, Hey, just get this thing done. So uh, like anything, um, the more quality you want, the more preparation and time goes into it. So it's going to be, you know, more it's going to take longer and a little bit more expensive, obviously, yeah. but you know, it's the value in itself is still there. In fact, you'd probably get a better value doing the more prep work, obviously, because preparation is the key to painting. If sure. you don't prep properly, you could put all the paint you want on the walls. It's not going to, 
It's not going to stay. It's not going to, you're not going to get the final product that you're happy with. So um, that level of prep really is, is what determines it. It doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, we still respect the home. We still cover and protect everything. It's just how many nail pops are we going to do all of the nail pops that we see? Are we going to do just the major ones? You know, that's, that's really what it comes down to. You know, we still, even when they want a, a faster or less precise paint job, we still do the basics. You know, you caulk where you need to caulk. You get most of the nail pops. You fill any major holes, cracks, dings, dents, damage, you know, things of that nature. Prime stains, bare areas. So, so there is a, a, a standard of what we'll do. You know, we won't go into somebody's house and, and just, okay, thanks. We, we still need to maintain our reputation as well. So um, that being said, uh, now that I'm losing track of what I was saying. No, you're is, good. Yeah, so we can customize based on where your needs are financially and where your needs are as far as the project that needs to be done. Got it. So like I said, small to large, whatever you need we can facilitate. How do you, so I can tell you when I bought my condo five or six years ago, I was still, I had just met my girlfriend at the time. And so I was living by myself and I picked out paint colors and we painted and the paint colors went up on the wall. And I was like, Holy God, this is terrible. Now me being a guy, a bachelor, I didn't care. I kept it. It was fine until my now wife moved in. She's like, no, this is terrible. And so the lesson for me was like, wow, like the paint in the can, the paint at the store, it's significantly different than how it's going to look on the wall. And now we actually, it's, it's interesting. We have the same shale paint color in our bathroom, in our bedroom, in our living room, and I think maybe in our kitchen. And it looks different on every wall based on the lighting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You guys help people sort of figure that out. Cause I mean, I've found that to be probably the hardest part about painting. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's actually, a. I do a lot of that, a lot of helping people decide what colors are going to work for their home. Um, when my wife and I bought the home that we're in now, it was beigey, 90s beige, you know, taupes and teals, or not teal, but, you know, taupes and beiges and, and khaki colors. And we painted it gray, as shades of gray. And, um, you know, part of that is, Gray is the new beige of the nineties, but if you don't want to go with gray, yeah, or even let's back up. If you do want to go with gray, there's five different kinds of grays out there. Mm-hmm. There's blues, there are blue grays, brown grays, black grays, uh, you know, and you'll have even purple grays. It's it's it, a green grays. It's all based on when you get that color swatch. And I usually say to get the whole line because then you can see the transition from the lightest to the darkest in that family. I always tell people, look at the darkest color that's there. If that's a dark, dark, dark blue or dark, dark, dark brown or dark, dark, dark green, that's going to be the hue that's going to come up on your walls. So although when you're looking at the light ones, they all look pretty close, that base color will be you know, like anything, if you, if you're looking at a one inch by one inch square and then you, you know, blow it up, you're going to get more character out of that color than just looking at the square. Hmm. Um, so picking colors is, and I'll be honest with you, it's more difficult for 
many women than it is for men. And there's a psychological reason for that. <laughs> it turns out that back in the hunter-gatherer days of our survival as, as a species, you know, when the men went out and hunted and, and were looking for food and, um, you know, game, things of that nature, the women would train the children to, you know, forage and find berries and this and that. But the women, when foraging, would need to determine based on color whether a berry was poisonous or edible. Because hmm. that meant life or death for her or her children. Sure. So you can't make a mistake and eat the wrong color berry. So that that matters. So right. that that my kids are gonna die feeling transitions to I don't want to pick the wrong color on the wall. Now it's <laughs> it's it's convoluted and stretched out over centuries, but that's yeah. the basis of why many and i'm not trying to be sexist but why many women feel more anxiety towards choosing the right color versus the guy will be like meh yeah it's okay you, you know? must have been in our house because we recently painted the cabinets and my wife came in with like three shades of like off-white she's like which one and i'm like first i'm like i don't care and then she's like no no you have to tell me i'm like listen I would give you an answer and if you want me to, I will, but I have no idea. They all look the same to me. And it's like, and now you're telling me there's a reason for it. There is, there is a reason for it. Um, you know, and, and that may not explain all of it. You know, some women just like, or some people just like to ensure that they made the right decision and something, especially something like paint, that's going to be lasting. You want to make sure you make the right decision because you don't want to look at something you're not going to like. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's coming from that space. If you have very limited information, I mean, that square is all the information you get very limited information, but you got to make a huge decision based on limited information. So that's always right. a little anxiety producing, right. you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's just literally sometimes in a room or any place, just slapping a coat of paint on, it just makes all the difference in the world. And it could, it could it change really does. feel so significantly probably as quickly and easily as doing as doing almost anything to a, a home or an office right perfect example um my wife hated the gray that we painted in one of the rooms in the living room it was uh american white salesman yeah <laughs> uh it's an american white it's very 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 light gray it's almost white and she said it felt washed out so what I did was I took a darker gray of the same family and I painted an accent wall across the largest wall in the living room, totally changed the entire feel of the house. Mm -hmm. All I did was put a little darker color on the one wall. I didn't even paint the whole room, yeah. but it completely changed how she felt about that room. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's simple things that you can do that can change that don't need to be big steps that if you're mostly happy with it, but there's something missing. There's always like a little tweak or, you know, painting a door, a different color, painting trim, a different color, yeah. things like that, um, you know, tend to help as well. So as, as your company, the, that you work with pro finished, what, you know, what type of jobs, who should call you? Anyone that, you know, who's your perfect customer? Is it someone that needs their whole house painted a room painted their exterior? And who, who would that customer be? So our perfect customer is somebody who wants a quality paint job for a really good price. Um, we guarantee our work for two years plus, you know, if anything chips fails, scratches, dings, or, or, you know, is, is insufficient due to either our part or the product itself, 
we come back and fix it for free two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the perfect customer for us would be really anybody who needs to move into a new home. Someone who's selling their home, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody's getting ready to transition out of their home and they want to sell and get it ready for the next person or even, um, to neutralize it. You know, a lot of people really like vibrant colors, but they know that the next person may not be able to see past the colors. So that's why, like, especially with, you know, with the help of real estate agents, realtors, um, they'll help them, you know, paint certain rooms or, um, really freshen up that and, and coercely actually, um, moving into a new place. You don't like the colors. It's, it's all washed out and boring. So now you want to add some of your own character to those places, you know, especially bedrooms and, and living rooms and common areas like kitchens. I mean, kitchens are huge. We do kitchen cabinets. We do amazing work on kitchen cabinets. Um, you know, and that's, that's one thing that could save you thousands of dollars. I mean, redoing a kitchen 10,000 plus, you know, yeah. easy. We could do that for half, just painting the cabinets and it will change it from a dreary dark brown or whatever it is to a nice bright white or light gray or whatever it is you want. And, and that helps drastically in yeah. how you feel about the room as well. Um, exteriors. I mean, we do all sorts of exteriors. It's getting a little cold now, but you know, our paint jobs last 10 to 12 years. You know, we prep it right. We pressure wash everything. We we prime and prep and caulk and seal all the holes and fix all the imperfections and replace rotted wood so that you don't have continuing issues. And like I said, our paint our paint jobs last ten to twelve years, based on sun and and wind. You know, the temperature we can't we can't you know account for the weather, but yeah. overall, yeah. It's all Perfect. and it's all in the prep work. It's all yeah. in the prep work. Got it. Cool. So um, this is awesome. And why don't you, we'll finish off by telling us where to find you or where the audience can find the company you work for. Um, just so if they have any questions or, you know, want to potentially do business with you guys, what, uh, how they can get, reach out. Great. Sure. Well, thanks. Um, so we are pro finish painters of New Jersey. You can email me directly at Dave at pro finish painters or go to pro finish painters um, We're on Facebook. We're in a lot of Facebook groups, a lot of the mom chats. So that's a good way to get, um, you know, people's personal experiences and, and really ask them direct questions instead of just going on the website. Oh yeah, of course. All these people are saying great things. Yeah. It's their website. Um, but no, if you go on Facebook and you know, you could ask good, bad, cause you know, we're not perfect. We're humans. We've messed up here and there. And, uh, the best thing is to learn from the mistakes you mess up here and you don't do it again. You know, sure. and, and you, you move forward and, and keep learning. Cool. Man. So, yeah. So, um, again, it's pro finishers, pro finish painters and j.com. That's awesome. Dave, this was uh fantastic and pro finishes should be, uh, honored to have you working for them, man. It's, uh, well, it's an honor to talk much. to you and meet you and, and you're, you do a great job speaking, telling your story. And I can tell just from this hour about the mindset that you have. And I, uh, you know, That's I'm fortunate to be able to do this with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really yeah. appreciate it. And, appreciate uh, it. I appreciate you having me on and, uh, well, now that everybody knows, I'd like to know about, about you, if you got a couple of minutes. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do that later next time. Okay. Next time it is. All right. Thank you very much, Justin. I appreciate it. Yep. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no-obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.